I don't know who Marcus Aurelius is. Is he a teacher no. in a different grade? Yeah, <laughs> like, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am your host, Jason Lafferty. I'm your host, Dylan Dentremont. We are two dudes who review books. Dude. 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 How's it going? Yeah, it's been a while. It's it going has, great. It's been a minute, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's good to it, get, get back in the Zoom room and finally get to hang out and talk books again, man. I, I know, right? Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I am super excited to talk about this book today. Oh, yeah, me uh, too. I mean, and right. what's really great about this book is it's awesome. And it also could get us or get other people started on something where there's actually a lot of content. It's it's not a one-off. There's a lot there. Even this one, you know, I got uh, The Obstacle is the Way. I got, and I think you did too, as I recall, as part of a three-pack yeah. uh of books that are all kind of Man. focused around got me, got me the set there you go you got the box set um are focused around kind of stoic uh wisdom western philosophy if you will so um and this is not my first foray i actually before i ever read this book i've been um a fan of the daily stoic uh also uh, forwarded by Ryan Holiday for for the last several years, and I've followed a lot of the uh, fundaments of Stoic philosophy. I read up on Mark Aurelius uh, ages ago. I've had that book in my library for for decades. Um, but yeah, good stuff, um, and I think packaged in a way that that is going to resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, I I got a boatload of questions when it comes to this book. I, I really do. I you know as I um like i we had read it and then there mm -hmm. was time that passed because we rescheduled and whatnot and yeah. i'm like okay well let me brush up on my notes and you know go through so i, I can make sure i can talk about it and <laughs> as i'm brushing up on my notes i'm like oh my god that story applies right now mm -hmm. oh my god that story applies right like there's so much great stuff in there and so like you're saying it's not a one-off we right. can both agree right now that we will reread these books again. oh yeah and we'll probably talk about them again somewhere down the road. Definitely. Right? The great books. So I, I think my first real question is, is how did you get exposed to Stoic philosophy? So it, this was way back. In fact, when I was in my teens, um, I had I, I studied martial arts, which is, of course, a very has a lot of Eastern <laughs> um, elements, but my martial arts instructor was actually, uh, he led a varied and interesting life. And one piece of that life was he was actually an army green beret. And um, so it, it's not like he handed me the book, but a lot of the stuff that we would be exposed to a lot of the kind of phrases, it wasn't just military driven, it was driven by a frame of mind that um, doesn't understand 
obstacles and kind of trials and tribulations the same uh, the, the way like the, a common person would understand them and that came from my sensei's kind of experience in the green beret and for people that don't know um green beret are they're, they're not normal soldiers they have a much more <laughs> complex um, mission they are special forces they are commandos if you will but a big part of what they do is they deploy into countries where they're usually grossly outnumbered and their job is to train insurgent forces that are then going to go to war against a, usually a, a larger, better funded, more organized force. So they're fundamentally, their mindset fundamentally comes from one of this is what we have. How can we make the most of it? And understanding that someone's mentality can be a force multiplier as much as a weapon or a given tactic can be a force multiplier. So anyway, all of that is to say is that that military background um, and the way of framing problems. And again, that re resonates really well with the obstacles. The oh, way yeah. is finding the way and understanding that we don't need to feel defeated, that what is presented to us as a problematic can really shine through. All of that kind of training that I had, and I, I served under that sensei for, for five or six years, um, set me up uh, on a path towards studying philosophy and um, going to the bookstore and actively looking for, for books that would help me with that. And that's when I frankly uh, found uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditations and, and kind of went from there. So that was when, that was before I graduated from high school. Um, I went from there into a career in the military. I went into the Navy, not into the army. <laughs> um, so my path was a little different than my sensei's, but um, all of that. And, you know, there are times in my life where I've done a better job sticking to the tenets of Stoke philosophy. And there are times when I did a terrible job. Um, but I think <laughs> that there's also room. Uh, there's also room in Stoic philosophy for um, understanding that we we're not perfect all the time and, and that to be reflective and to kind of return to the table um, is, is an acceptable way of being. It sort of meets you where you are. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I mean, as you're explaining, uh, you know, green berets, I'm like, oh yeah, you, you've just outlined the book. Mm. The obstacle is the way, right. They, they, they go into a country, they go into a situation where there's an obstacle and they have to train, they have to figure out the way forward yeah absolutely there you go that's the obstacle that's the book. is the way yeah we can't just sit back and lament um at the things we don't have we can't allow our perception of of what we think is going on to kind of cloud what the truth really is because when we get, you know, to use video gaming turn, if, if we get, <laughs> if we let ourselves get tilted, right, then our perceptions get all kinds of out of whack. I mean, and this is just as true in the military as it is in corporate America, as it is in education. You know, if we let circumstances or people get under our skin, 
and let it impact our judgment, our perception. He has a whole section of this book on perception. Um, then we're, if, if our perception is compromised, then the whole rest of the action chain becomes compromised. It, it's likened to running very fast in the wrong direction. If, if you don't know where you're going, what you're headed, what your mission is, and what the truth of your situation is, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, and you may, in fact, end up doing more harm than good. And I would argue that you can, you can let this, you can be overcome by obstacle. Mm-hmm. And, and many people are, and many people can even develop a crippling fear of the obstacle. I, I will say that that is, is not a healthy way to go about it at uh, all. But, sure you know, that the statement we can't, well, we can, and, and people do. And even, even someone who, like you said, is really, you know, into Stoic philosophy and really studying it, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to let yourself be overwhelmed at one point in time. But if you can take that objective step back and go, what am I really dealing with in this situation in this moment? and find that path forward that mindset that mindset's game changer that mindset that mindset just propels you forward well and this this first section of the book uh the the book is roughly divided into three sections perception action and will and and each of the sections has several chapters within but that first section perception um he he really does lay out a pretty convincing argument for why that's the most critical kind of of the three sections and the the way that this comes back around is that if your perception is kind of lacking in truth if your if your perception is driven by your emotions or by prejudice or or whatever the case may be you're not going to see all the solutions that are available to you. Um, and w- there's a quote to me that sticks out. I'm a big fan of uh, Abraham Lincoln. So if you hate Abraham Lincoln, I'm so sorry. Um, but uh, I don't, what I don't know his... how many people really like are running around hating Abraham Lincoln. It, it, it would seem like uh, it's a hard sell for me to not like Abraham yeah. Lincoln. But I want to leave room for those people that, that yeah. just don't love him. Sure. Everybody has but, an opinion. His quote was um, that if my, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it written down in front of me, but basically <laughs> um, if, if I turn an enemy into my friend, yes, have I not defeated him? That's, that's a fundamental reframing of, of the situation. You, your perception is driven by both context what's happening in the bigger world around you and whatever your obstacle, your enemy, so to speak, is. Um, But then also framing the understanding of kind of, well, well, what, what can we do about it? How does that relate to me? And his, you know, if we think that the only way to get past our enemies is to, to best them on the field of battle, um, then we're leaving we're leaving behind a lot of options. Um, and the way this relates kind of back to real life is that it's possible that sometimes an obstacle, if we really think about it carefully, 
and really let our perception shine, it's possible that it's not really an obstacle at all. Um, and a big chunk of the first section of the book, perception has to do with, you know, maybe instead of thinking of it as an obstacle, something that's stopping us from doing something, if we reframe that into this is an opportunity to practice a certain virtue or a certain skill set, right? To practice patience, to practice compassion, to practice forgiveness, um, we are then taking control of that situation, right? <laughs> just through our perception, just by modifying our perception, we're taking control of the situation, really putting ourselves in a position to take the best actions. I think you're, and you're dancing around the, the quote I wrote down from the, the King's story. That's mm -hmm. like right in the, right in the very beginning of the book. Sure, yeah. And it's uh, the obstacle in the path. Never forget with every, never forget within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. Absolutely. And, and that King story, I like that King story. And those for who have not read the book and who are not familiar with the King story, the, the king is tired of his his people, his subjects. They feel, he feels like they've gotten comfortable and he feels like they're just kind of like taking advantage and being demandy and stuff like that. So leading into the town, he places a big boulder. It doesn't really say how he places the big boulder. So I'm going to assume he threw it on his shoulder and just he set it there, right? Just a badass king, man. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> And so as, as the people are coming into the town, you know, uh, people are, they're, they're grumbling towards the king. Oh my God, how can the king let this happen? When we, mm -hmm. And they're, they're turning away and they're, you know, they're, they're pushing on the boulder and they're like, meh, this boulder. And then, you know, and as this is happening, the king is, the king is watching. The king is, the king's mm -hmm. got eyes on it. And eventually someone comes along um, and I'm calling them. I know this is kind of a spoiler, but I'm calling them leverage person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Leverage yeah. person. Yeah. And they assess the rock and they assess the situation and then they walk out into the woods and they grab a stick. And what do they do next is they mm -hmm. use a, use that stick as a lever and yep. apply leverage on yeah. the big boulder and the boulder rolls out of the way. Right. And underneath the boulder, there's some gold coins um and there's a note and the note says what is uh the big rock in your or no what does the note say the note says no actually the note says the obstacle is the path obstacle in the path never forget within every obstacle is an opportunity for improving your condition that mm -hmm. was what was under the boulder and i i that, that's this whole that story kicks off this book and you're mm -hmm. like oh what I'm hearing right now is, is people are comfortable. They've gotten yeah. themselves in a comfortable uh, position and yeah. now they're just going to, to sit there and complain and go, woe is me. Mm -hmm. And the leverage person, it was all about mindset was all mm -hmm. about like perception. That whole first chapter or whole first section is all about mindset. It's all about putting yourself in a mindset to go, this is the situation I'm in. Mm -hmm. and you know how am i going to make the best of this situation yeah you can acknowledge this is you know this is not an ideal situation 
this mm-hmm. is this is not a situation I, I would prefer to be in, but it's where I'm at. Yeah. Well, and you're getting at something that's really important there too. And and it is uh, you know, one of those things that is discussed in Stoic philosophy, and that's the role of complaining. Or or I suppose <laughs> I suppose I should really say the non-role of complaining. Um, and that's one of the points of the story too, is that those those other people who came and whined and complained and bemoaned, you know, the king uh, letting this happen, that they were putting energy into being whiners, um, kind of, I, I hate to hate to bust out the name calling, um, but th- that's what <laughs> the they were whine, putting whine their baby criers, into. is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. But um, as opposed to the, you know, the farmer who kind of came at the end, leverageitis, Mr. Leverage, um, <laughs> Mr. Leverage, you know, he, instead of complaining, he put his mind to solving the problem, right, to seeing the opportunity and uh, exploiting his weaknesses. In this case, you know, given that it's a, a parable, the, the reward was um, very literal. Um, in our lives, you know, the, the rewards are sometimes harder to capture but that is also incidentally driven by our perception right if if we you know and he goes into a whole section about um rivals um a little bit farther on Uh, did i get too far ahead of myself i don't think so um but just basically understanding that even if we have a rival that we can um, use that to keep us alert, to help us raise the stakes, to motivate you, to prove them wrong, to harden you up, to help you appreciate your true allies and friends, um, and to provide an instructive antelog. Um, this is captured on page 56, if you didn't have that already, right? But if, if somebody is rude or disrespectful, they're underestimating you. Take advantage of that, right? If somebody is conniving, uh, then we don't have to apologize for making an example of them, right? So, I mean, all of this is driving at the idea that we, instead of complaining about our enemies or our obstacles or the things that are between us and our goals, but in fact, to modify our perception, to strip away the whininess right? To strip away the complaining, to just put that all away and see the truth of matters. And the truth of matters is that stuff is really never good or bad. There is just truth. (laughs) Things are the way they are. And that's what perception is. Stripping away all that other stuff so you can see the truth so that you can take proper action that's oriented around your skills and abilities or the skills and abilities that you'd like to grow or develop. And that, that, that statement, you know, things are what they are. They're neither good or bad. That's a really hard concept to wrap your head around. Yes. And I honestly, I feel like if you wrap your head around that concept, well, the people around you that you, you, you work with, you, you know, family, whatever, right they're honestly going to think that you're kind of emotionless sometimes and kind of a dick. I mean, yeah, it's what it boils down to, you know, if someone comes to you and be like, Oh my God, you hear about Susie. And what happened to Susie? Oh, and you're, oh, yeah. And then if terrible. you go and you, you qualify it and be like, Oh God, God, that's horrible for Susie. 
well, you've now given it, you've now given that situation a power by saying, oh, oh yeah, God, that's, oh my God, that's horrible for Susie. Or, you know, when you feed into that, uh, and it's, it's hard. It's a very hard concept. Uh, yeah. Um, because we're, we're emotional beings and it's really easy, uh, to, to fall down that emotional path. I'm not saying, you know, be a Spock and be heartless and yeah, which he really wasn't heartless, but we don't need to get into the, there's the, a whole other, the, there's the a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's another, there's a completely other podcast. That's gonna talk about that. <laughs> but, you know, I will say that that statement of, of not complaining, um, I'm about complaining uh, and he, hear me out on this. Sure. If, if you're going to complain, right. I, I think there's some healthiness to complaining because it's allowing you to process emotions, but if you're going to complain, do it quick mm -hmm. and do it with someone you trust. Sure. Right. If mm -hmm. you're just going to random walk up to some rando in the break room, a break. I feel like break room keeps coming to mind. Work keeps coming to mind. Spend a lot of time in the break room, do you? Just yeah. <laughs> I spend uh, enough. Uh, so yeah, you know, if you're sitting there and you're just complaining to some rando, then you know you're you're part of the problem. You're you're going and saying, hey, you know that what you know what Joe said was was rude, and you know, can you believe what how they're treating people and stuff like that. Well, if you go up to someone you trust and be like, man, I don't know how I feel about what Joe said. Or maybe I do know how I feel. I, I just, I don't feel like, you know, they, they were being nice. I feel like they could have approached it differently. Mm -hmm. And if you say that and you process it to, with someone you trust and then go, okay, I need to go have a conversation with Joe and I need to help set some boundaries here that that's okay because you know that person that you trust isn't going to run off and be like oh my god mm -hmm. did you did you hear right yeah well and you're you're driving at something important there is that y yes you're you're spending some time complaining but you're spending an equal or greater amount of time yes problem solving that's the difference right the the people in the parable and the story about the king and the big rock oh right? yeah no. They, they complained and then they wandered off right they 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 wanted to just piss and moan or whatever <laughs> and, and then do nothing about it they didn't have a solution focus um so i think it, i'm not saying zero complaining is the answer <laughs> I, I also think talking about problems and talking about um you know how things could be going better I think is still instructive and it's, it's still a part of a reflective practice for us to grow as human beings. Um, so, you know, even in your example, your, your final, you know, output was, here's what I need to do to tackle this. Yeah. Um, another big part of perception is just the understanding that, that we don't control everything. We, we don't. I don't control everything that happens to me. I, the best laid plans, right, are still subject to the whims of fate to a certain extent. And you can control for a lot of it. But just an understanding that sometimes somebody else on your team, they're going to get sick on the wrong day. Somebody is going to make a mistake. Um, somebody is going to outplay you at some point or think of something you didn't think of. 
the sooner we acknowledge that that's a possibility, that stuff may just not go the way we want it to go, um, I think that helps with our perception as well. And again, sitting in a corner, worrying, right? Again, related to complaining, getting all wound up, ruminating about all the things that could go wrong um, is not helpful. But turning that around, again, managing our perceptions to have a solution-oriented focus or to find a way to help the weaknesses that we see help us grow, I think is really where the book is driving here. So is it, is it considered complaining if you take action to solve it? I mean, could it still be considered complaining if you take action? I would say yes, but it's um, a lot better than just complaining, doing, right? We, we got nothing. a sliding scale here. I would rather, <laughs> I would rather, um, in terms of my own, the way I deal with problems, I'm a, I'm a, um, at work, uh, similar to you, right? We've got leadership roles, maybe not of a lot of people, but a lot of people count on us to problem solve and bend our ear about problems that other people are having. And my attitude tends to be that I'd rather take action or um, instead of if I have a problem at work that needs to go farther up the chain of command, so to speak, I don't tend to complain. I tend to forward a suggestion if that if that makes any sense. So yeah. I'm highlighting a problem, but I'm not just being like, yeah, this is a problem. Whiny McWine wine. It's here's some ideas that I have about how we can repair this. And they may not be they may not be appropriate, right? I don't, again, I don't control everything. I only control myself. It's another fundament of stoic uh, philosophy is that yeah. you only have, uh, recognizing what we do and do not control is supremely important. But at least I'm coming to it from a frame of how can we solve this problem instead of putting it on somebody else um, and understanding that I'm gonna make suggestions, they may get shot down, they may not be actionable, they may be good suggestions that somebody is too lazy to put into practice. All of that is okay. Yeah. Because my perception is that if the problem doesn't get solved, I can still work around that. The obstacle is the way. I'm either gonna get more patient or more compassionate or I'm gonna find a solution that comes from me that doesn't rely on other people to solve it. You know, and it it makes me think, I feel like I've been in this situation before and the boss wants you to do something mm-hmm. and they go, well, you know, go go tackle this. And then you do it differently than they've, because they've, they haven't suggested anything. They just go tackle this, you do it differently. Yeah, go like, do this thing, yep. And you're like, they're like, well, that's not the way I wanted you to do it. And you're like, well, you didn't tell me how to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just told me what you wanted the outcome to be. And the outcome is what it is. Yeah. Like I, I got to the outcome. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a mind reader. And then you have someone that, and I've seen this happen. Someone get upset. Like, well, I wanted you to do it this way. Like, so when you're coming to me with something and saying, hey, come to me and say, 
this is what I want you to do. And here's the steps I want you to take. Mm -hmm. And now you're not going to be emotionally upset about it. Sure. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's that, you know, as you say that, you know, you come to a suggestion, you bring a suggestion to the table. If you're emotionally tied to that suggestion, and it doesn't mm -hmm. go your way. You're mm -hmm. going to be like, no one listens to me. Yeah. And, and walk out. But if you go in there and go, Hey, this is what I'm thinking right now. And then you collaborate. Mm hmm. And you mm -hmm. come up with a new idea, you come up with the same idea, you come up with something better, whatever that is, you're not emotionally invested, you're not emotionally tied, you're not frustrated that people aren't listening to you, you're like, oh, okay, this it is what it is. Yeah, and you're yeah. also getting at something that's really important from, you know, today we're, we're going over the obstacle is the way, but um, another book uh, also produced by the same author is ego is the enemy right and what you're talking about there being kind of married to a solution right and having if somebody doesn't approve of your solution then that is hurtful to you that is like fun a fundament of <laughs> of being egocentric right like people don't like my ideas everything's a personal attack you know nothing around here works like we we can't we can't think that way and be balanced, growing, uh, empathetic human beings. Um, we we got to find another way. So yeah, yeah, managing our perceptions, understanding that, you know, some people are going to see the world differently than we do. And that's also okay, right? It, we don't have good. control over them, Right. So yeah. they may not always agree with us. They may not like our suggestions, but if we're opening up a dialogue instead of just being whiny, I think that automatically puts us in a better position. If you go back to that whole enemy thing, mm -hmm. if you take a project, an idea to someone that you know disagrees with you mm -hmm. and you go, Hey, I want to run a project or idea by you. Mm -hmm. And they shoot all these holes in it. Right. Oh. You've now learned something, yeah. right? You've learned how other people may perceive this. You may learn that, hey, you know, if I do this, it's going to put this at jeopardy, right? If I, if I do this, you know, this is going to happen. Where mm -hmm. if you take that same project, same idea to people that, you know, work for you, people that you, you lead, people that are aligned with your thinking, they're like, mm -hmm. oh, that's a great idea. Right. And you may never know the, you know, the struggles that may come with it. And you may go to the, your, you know, your quote unquote enemy with it and they may point stuff out and you go, Oh, I didn't even think of that. I have to recess before moving forward. Or you go, okay, those are all the things that could go wrong with it. I'm okay with it. I'm going to move forward. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I want to touch on one more story in perception before we move on. Sure. Um, and that is the Ruben Hurricane Carter story. I, I love this story. Yeah. Okay. So Ruben Hurricane Carter, he was a boxer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wrongfully accused of triple homicide. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and he goes to prison. Yes. And he may have and i i don't i don't have all all the quotes from this story but sure. what the idea around it was he may have physically been in prison 
but he wasn't mentally in prison. Right. Yeah. Um, he set very clear boundaries on guards touching him on, you know, what he was going to do and what he wasn't going to do. And I really like this story because it's very situational to us and not as that we're all going to get accused of triple homicide. Hopefully no one's getting accused. Of I was going to say homicide. you have a more colorful past than I thought, sir. Yes. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't talk about it a lot, uh, <laughs> but that feeling, feeling stuck, that feeling in prisons, that feeling mm-hmm. like, you know, I, my situation is, is horrible. Okay, let's put some context on it. If unless you're really getting accused of triple homicide, your situation may really not be that bad. Right. right? Yeah. But the setting the boundaries and saying, hey, this is what I'm gonna allow in this situation, and this is what mm-hmm. I'm not gonna allow. Yeah. That that was such a, a great way to look at it. It's like I think we've all been in a a job a situation a relationship whatever that is that had this feeling of i'm stuck yeah i'm in prison and no yeah it's not it's not good it is Mm -hmm. it's just it's a crappy crappy feeling Mm -hmm. and so to put that again this is that perception that mindset to put that on there and say this is what I'm going to allow in this situation. And this is what yeah. I'm not going to tolerate. And you could even think we're recording this after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. The, all those people that don't have, you know, don't like going to see family on Thanksgiving. Sure, yeah. Think of it, think of it in the same way. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I got to go see family. I, I know my, you know, my mom's going to bring this up or my dad's mm-hmm. going to bring this up or the uncle is going to make some dumb joke. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, that perception. This is what yeah. I'm allow. This is what I'm not going to allow. Well, and this gets at two, this, this reminds me of two important ideas. And one of them is, is brought up explicitly in the book is that your mind is your citadel, right? It is this impenetrable ca- castle, right? Inside of your mind. If you think of um, kind of your, your soul or your mind in that way. Yeah. And the impenetrable piece is important the the walls of that citadel can only be breached from within you have to open the doors to allow those outside in events to really harm you and the hurricane's story i think is a prime example of that right he said no the core of me my citadel I am not a criminal. You will not treat me like a criminal. I will not accept treatment as a criminal. That was his citadel. He refused, right? He kept his citadel impenetrable. He knew that it could only be breached from within. And this aligns really well with those of you who maybe have seen V for Vendetta. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. um he, once a long time ago <laughs> it was a long time ago but there's a really if you haven't seen it um i first of all great movie i'm a big fan but um there's an important set of scenes where the main character is imprisoned and in fact it kind of bounces back and forth between both of the main characters and their time 
imprisoned in their experience. And they talk about the final inch, that last inch of you inside that no matter what happens is still you, no matter what is taken from you is still you. And again, that can only be given away. You have to make that choice. Um, and we can apply that to our lives by deciding, you know, what is your final inch? What is your citadel? What are you not going to allow in to affect you, to corrupt your thinking, to, to make you feel bad, right? Because you have control over that. And that's really what perception is all about. Yeah, it, it's a, I would say if you read the book and you just read that one story mm -hmm. and then you set the book down, and you didn't read it for another decade, mm -hmm. and you still just kept that story in mind and you kept mm -hmm. that, you would be in a solid spot. Yeah. Protecting that that citadel and protecting that that core of who you are and not allowing people in. And that's that that thing that happens is we allow people in. Or we have someone that is that we've allowed in and we don't escort them out. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't set that boundary. If you just go off this that story, I think that story is so powerful because it's about what you control. It's about staying true to who you are and not allowing these outside forces to, you know, make you feel like you're something you're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great, great, great story. Ruben Hurricane Carter, folks. Absolutely. I don't Absolutely. know why I threw folks on it and uh, like that. Sure. It is what it is. I do want to acknowledge you referenced V for Vendetta. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that no one in the last decade has referenced V for Vendetta. See, there you go. Yeah. Originality for the win. Yeah, original. Right uh, there. Uh, showing my age. Yeah. Folks, showing yeah. My age. Right, well, let's move on to the, the third section. Yeah. Well, wait, did we talk? We talked oh, a lot about no, perception. Second, sec, second section. There's wait, only three sections, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. The third, the third, that, that well, you know, the second, the second, second, the second we haven't talked about action yet. We got to talk about There's perception, action, will. And it, yeah. it does seem, you know, I'm not going to lie. It does seem a little weird that action is in the middle, but I, I, I disagree, but go on. You think action belongs in the middle. I think action belongs in the middle. Yeah, and I actually don't disagree. I I agree that action belongs in the middle. Um, I, I let's talk about action. Okay. Um, so so kind of the the bullet points here with action is that if you have managed your perceptions and you are actually perceiving the truth as it is, and you understand that the truth of your situation is neither good nor bad, right? This, by the way, this, this is kind of a problem that people have with stoicism. They think that we have no emotions, um, right? Or they <laughs> think that it pushes aside emotions. And that's not true. Um, it, it actually acknowledges kind of like um, the US government usually <laughs> Um, <laughs> adheres to a policy. Of Where are you going with this? <laughs> adheres to a policy of separation of church and state, right? I think that it might be fair to say that in Stoicism, we try to adhere to a policy of separations of emotion from perception, right? 
We okay, I'm with, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. We understand that emotions exist, and th- there are times when emotions um, feel good, and there are times when emotions feel bad. We should not let those emotions cloud our perceptions. So that's where that dividing line sort of is. And once you've sorted that out and you've kind of come to the truth of matters as best as you understand them, while still acknowledging that there's a lot you don't know and there's a lot that you don't have control over, then we can start to take action. And the fundaments here are that when we uh, greet obstacles with energy, persistence, process, when we iterate and um, act with resilience, right? Continuing to push forward through setbacks um, with vision, savvy, and then really looking out for those pivotal moments, right? Keeping our eyes open for opportunity, which by the way, we can't do if we're wrapped up in the emotion of the thing. Then that's when we do perform our best actions is when we really get after it. And the things that resonate to most, the most with me here are really that resilience piece. It's the understanding that even the best laid plans, again, will sometimes get undermined or somebody will let you down. You can't let that stop you from pushing forward with deliberate action. The other thing that I wanted to mention here is the role of process. And I don't know if you, what parts of action really stood out to you, but resilience is kind of the low bar, right? If you can't do anything else, at least steel yourself to push through setbacks because they're gonna happen. Any great work is gonna encounter setbacks. But then the next step, um, when you're kind of trying to achieve that higher level is to have a good process and to stick with that process. You know, they talk about, um, you know, we're up here in Seattle. I don't know how specific we should or shouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we're not talking about anything particularly charged, but, um, you know, uh, Pete Carroll has a process, right, about building a football team. And even, you know, uh, there, there are some things that have happened in his past. And even if you disagree with some of the ways he's run other football teams, He has a process for setting up a team and good coaches do and coaching comes right back around to what you do. Am I right, sir? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So when you look at, when you look at coaching there, there's a, there's a process. And so, you know, my coaching and Pete Carroll's coaching completely different, right? A little different. Yeah. I'd say so. A little different. But, you know, so the book, you know, so we're going with perception, action, right, will. Mm-hmm. The, the coaching process is more, you know, awareness, acknowledgement, action. And I, I, I'm kind of doing some summary here of, of what sure. that is, right? Um, but perception and awareness are, are, are that they're right there in that same yeah. spot of, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you have to be aware, right? And there, there's this overall process of what you're doing in the coaching session and what you're doing to, you know, kind of round out, you know, a, a, a start at end of a coaching session and kind of, you know, what it looks like. Um, you, you have to, you have to, I don't want to say you have to abide by the process, 
But if you have a process, if it goes off the rails and you're like, that didn't work and you know what your process was, you now kind of know where to go back to. Yes. And you know where to go. Okay. Let's re I've, I've taken actionable steps. Mm -hmm. Right. And not just, I, I just went up, I, I, I thought about it. I I'm aware of it. I, this is my perception of it. Here are the actionable steps I'm going to take. Here is the process I have created and I'm going to go out and do it. And guess what? It didn't work. I can go back and reflect. If I just go out there and just start doing things, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm taking action, but it's not a, a thoughtful action. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's why I actually believe that having this in the middle is super important, mm -hmm. right? Because one, your perception action will, right? Uh, when, you, when you're doing an action, right? You have to have that will to keep going forward mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and that's why because if you're like perception will action yeah i don't know it just doesn't mm -hmm. the flow doesn't feel like it's there sure. right yeah we all we all are gonna face face something and we're all gonna have a process that's different we're all gonna face things differently we're gonna think about things differently um, I'm trying to think there's a story that's that's here and I I want to say it might be in will though um, and I, it might be in action so there's a story and there's I want to say it's Benjamin Franklin in his warehouse mm -hmm. burns down mm, I think it might that might have been Edison was that oh maybe yeah you're right it was Edison and was it and was that an action or in will I don't remember honestly yeah. well we're, we're talking mean, yeah. about it now and we're we'll, we're here you know, now yeah <laughs> yeah we're, we're here now um but yeah so he he's got all these edison's got all these inventions and you know uh it, his his warehouse his warehouse catches on fire and he loses all of his work mm -hmm. and to the ground burn to the ground and why it's burning he calls he calls his family over and goes hey watch this you you will never see anything like this again in your life yeah it, uh, his, watch, it, yeah watch my work go up in flames his his workshop had a ton of like weird and interesting chemicals that were yeah. burning all kinds of interesting crazy colors yeah. and uh, you know i'm sure they all got uh interesting respiratory diseases after that but it was apparently a real interesting pseudo fireworks show. And yeah. he recognized that, look, it's on fire. We're not going to put it out. He went and grabbed his family and was basically <laughs> like, watch the show, right? Yeah. His yeah. life's work burning to the ground. And he grabbed his family excitedly, by the way, not Excit look yeah. at this. I'm sad, but this is going to be so cool right yeah yeah uh, not definitely. my life is over look at this and then like four months later they were up and going yep at full production of where they were at mm -hmm. and and created a whole bunch of stuff and you know came back stronger yeah 
resilience, uh, right? Resilience. And maybe that, maybe it does fall under will if that's it, what, it could <laughs> if that's where the story ends. But yeah, um we have these everyone's action is going to be different. Yeah. And that's what and if you start comparing yourself to people and say, well, you know, Johnny did it this way, Chad did it that way, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to like no, you got to figure out what's right for you. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the big part about coaching is if I come in and tell you, hey, do this, this, and this, you're less likely to do it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because it's not your decision. You're being told what to do, Yeah. right? But if we come in and we talk about it and we go, hey, what do you think the next step should be? Where would you like to see yourself, mm-hmm. right? How does that fit into your goals? How does that, how does that, you know, make, you know, your life better? How does that do whatever you want to do? And you go, oh, 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 okay. You know, and then you start going through it and you go, you know what? I'm not going to follow Johnny or Chad. They, mm-hmm. That may have, those may have worked for them and may have been similar to each other, but my, my path is this. way. Yeah. My path is different. We, and we do that in the classroom too, right? If, if I stand in front of the class and say, this is how we do this, this is how we do that, this is how we do this, this is how we do that, <laughs> uh, m- most of the kids who like school or like me will do that. I get much better participation, buy-in, um, and, and sometimes solutions that I haven't even thought of when I involve the students in that process. And I think that this is not, this is not just about kids. This is about human beings, right? People feel better when they have involvement in the process um, and, and are active participants in the process. And yes, there are times when we just need to be leaders right? When we're the ones with the vision or we're the subject matter experts. But I would also say that you're going to come up with much more powerful, collaborative, and above all, functional solutions if you involve people, right? Yeah. In my my context, being in the classroom, and frankly, even as a parent, and being a parent is something (laughs) that I think a lot more people have um, uh, familiarity with than running a classroom of 20 to 30 kiddos, but involving children, involving people in those decision-making processes that are going to ultimately impact their lives, you get way more buy-in, way more participation, and a heck of a lot less complaining um, than if you just my way or the highway, that kind of business. Um, and so yeah. it, that it, what this all comes back to in terms of actions is that our process as leaders does need to acknowledge that if we're leading, we're leading people. If we're coaching, we're coaching people and giving them some buy-in, a voice, some choice in the process can be incredibly powerful um, and really make a big difference in their performance. If we're doing big works, great works, um, we need to do it together. We, we need to be with people on these things. And so I'd say having a process that acknowledges that is going to result in a lot more successes than the opposite. 
and I would say meeting people where they are. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me- meeting people where they are and you need to be with people. And you know, there are times you do need to be a subject matter expert. I, I always reference it as, you know, if the fire alarm goes off, right. Are you looking at your kiddos and being like, so what do you think we should do now? So what is our next step? Yeah. You know, let's yeah. brainstorm. Um, no, we got to get out of here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're and, like, and you're hurtling, you're, 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 you're hurting cats. You're, 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 you're I have to forward. hurdle them sometimes too, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. <laughs> you know, on the shoulder, you're, you're, you're uh, carrying uh, them up uh, and because that's what needs to happen in that moment. Yes. There needs to be, there's times that it's, this is what it is. We got to go. Right. Mm-hmm. We got to, we got to do this. This isn't a, this isn't a, let's discuss. Right. Yeah. And then Not in that time, moment, certainly. Yeah. Right. But the, I've also found that if we have a classroom discussion before the first fire drill of the year, whoa, Nelly, do we do a lot better yeah. on actually our performance in the moment? So yeah, there are times when in an emergency or when safety is on the line or when things are getting chaotic, there does need to be a voice of command. But, you know, like the, like the fire alarm example, if I come to my kids the day before the fire drill and say, hey, this is going to be a thing. If this happens, what are some things that we can do? And we actually have a classroom conversation. We brainstorm. How should we line up? What door are we going to go out? How much you know, talking should we do? What should we grab or not? That's a lot smoother than trying to manage individual behavior or individual, you know, if I could make a bigger corollary, individual contributions to the whole that during the emergency, that becomes a lot of cognitive effort for me. Whereas if we have a conversation ahead of time about what each individual's role is when that emergency comes to town, we perform miles better. Well, yeah. So it's the, you know, it's the, in the moment. So you've mm-hmm. done all this pre-work. Yeah. Right. And you've gotten people involved and you've talked about it and you've let people speak their mind and mm-hmm. be like, Hey, what about this? And you can still act as a subject matter expert, but like, Oh, your question is about where are we going and where are we meeting? Okay. Awesome. Like, yeah. What if I, what if I'm going to the bathroom when the fire alarm goes off? What do I do? Like, right. And there are times when legitimately me as an instructor, I don't always think to cover that, right? And the kids bring it up as as part of that classroom conversation. And and so, you know, while I'm thinking about, we need to go out this door, we need to get to this (laughs) spot on the playground. They're like, yeah, "Yeah, but what if I'm peeing when this happens? And that's, you know, you can't think of everything. And if I cut off that information flow, if I'm, just the subject matter expert and I close my perceptions to what other people uh, the contributions that other people have that can be deeply problematic all of this comes back to the idea of having a process when you do decide to take action and that and that's important And, and you have to to get to your process point you have to do this this thinking in this conversation you have to talk it through whether that's with a coach whether that's with a friend whether that's mm-hmm. through journaling whatever that is absolutely but if you create this awareness before you go and take action your results are going to be far greater than just taking action without thought 
Yeah. Right. And then there's the other side of the coin that's also maybe not coin, the other side of the dice, whatever, that if you just think about what you're going to do and you just think about awareness and you don't take action, that kind of goes almost back to that spot of complaining, right? Yeah. You know, you're in this kind of, oh, I'm, I, I got to think about it more. I got to think about it more. I got to think mm-hmm. about it more. It becomes this crippling, uh, I don't really believe it just comes this, this crippling loop, if you will. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. There, there does need to be, you do need to think things out. You do need to have a process. Reflection should be part of your process. But if reflection is your whole process, you, yeah, you're never going to yeah. get anywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so the, I want to say one more thing about action mm-hmm. before I feel like we're moving on to will. Um, and the thing I'll say about action is as I'm reading action, mm-hmm. the, the thing that, that came to me um, was, was habit. So yeah, atomic habit. And I, I think this does pull us into will um, pretty easily because uh, habits and will they play a, a pretty big role in For each sure. other mm-hmm. right but you know the the idea of uh you know stoic philosophy is, is a mindset and it's a challenge mm-hmm. it, it's not it's not easy it's something that you can fall out of and it's something it's if you're not creating the habit and there's a whole bunch of exercises and what was it the the daily stoic isn't that uh, that's Daily Stoic, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. They and have he, an app and and a book. So if you're, yeah. I'm pretty sure the app is free, um, so you can at least get your your toe in the water there. And there's a whole bunch of exercises that they go through and mm-hmm. um, things to put yourself in challenging situations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I learned about stoicism uh, through Ryan Holiday, but through tim ferris tim ferris introduced mm, yeah. me tim ferris introduced me to ryan holiday is nice it was a weird way to put it but uh. <laughs> i was listening to tim ferris's podcast and tim ferris uh helped you know he helped sponsor ryan holiday's books to make this happen mm-hmm. um and if you listen to the audiobook there's actually an interview with uh ryan holiday and tim ferris nice uh, in the in the audiobook mm-hmm. um but yeah um we we have these these habits and we have these things that we need to do and there are these exercises that go through and one of the exercises that i'm, I'm thinking of is uh, it was a tim ferris thing and it was he called it his loud pants loud pants loud pants okay and he would just wear these pants that were just obnoxiously loud colorful Mm -hmm. pants Mm -hmm. and what it did is when you walked into a room all eyes were on you Mm -hmm. and it put you in this kind of uncomfortable situation of Mm -hmm. why is the why is everyone staring at me why is you know people are now whispering why is he wearing these pants you know Uh and you know those are some exercises in stoic philosophy and in ryan holiday's books of putting yourself in situations a lot of what you read in uh, meditations stuff like that there are some exercises in there about you know challenging yourself Mm -hmm. and really kind of 
pushing yourself in different directions and thinking about things that you don't want to think about and going, yeah. Hey, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, a, it's, it's a challenging, it's a challenging mindset to be in. It's mm-hmm. not an easy mindset. And, and that brings us into bum, 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 will the will. Yes. Yeah. Not will, but will, 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 will. So we will. we will. Yeah. So you, sir, Me. you mm-hmm. mentioned this earlier, right? You, sir, uh, chose to take on uh, the discipline of martial arts. Yeah. And you chose to take on the discipline of having multiple kids. Darn kids. <laughs> Those darn kids. So there's a lot of will that goes into having kids mm-hmm. and martial arts. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that there, there are a lot of philosophers who practiced one form of martial art or another. And, um, you know, even Marcus Aurelius, who, you know, out of meditations fame, of course, he was, you know, a, an emperor and tactician in general, right? So you, you get a lot of this. And I think the reason that we see a lot of philosophy out of martial arts and, um, you know, warriors, so to speak, is people who have been exposed to hardship, uh, particularly repeated hardship. And I'll also say that the world of people that have been exposed to repeated hardship that we can learn from that have shown the will who have shown resilience um is not limited to old white guys um i (laughs) i i think that there are a lot of people excuse me who have a lot to contribute in that arena um and so i think another thing that's important for us to do we talked about this a little bit in perception is that putting aside our prejudgments putting aside um, our preconceived notions and being prepared to see the truth of matters. And the truth of matters is that we can learn uh, from anybody. But uh, coming back to the obstacle is the way, the important things about the will is that we need to always be prepared for difficult times. If we're always prepared, if it's in our head that things could go sideways, we're already armoring ourselves about uh, as far as if things do go sideways, right? We're preparing ourselves to have the willpower to push through when things get hard. We're already there. Um, that not comes, a, what's that? I was going to say, not in a pessimistic way. No, oh no, definitely yeah. not. Yeah, Just you're an thinking acknowledgement, of, yeah. right? That, that it's neither good nor bad. Yeah. That yeah. stuff is going to happen. And we need to be ready to rise to it, not complain about it, be prepared for it as best we can, but acknowledge again, that we need to accept what we're unable to change. And and that sometimes the stuff we're unable to change is going to be stuff that's not helpful. um, And we need to be ready to push through that. And that's part of those exercises that are in, you know, in Stoic philosophy is you're thinking about, if this was to happen, what would I do? Mm -hmm. If this was to happen... How would I handle the situation? Mm-hmm. And I mean, they get 
they can get really dark with it. And they'll, you know, the, the lighter one I'll use is if you went into your job tomorrow and you got fired, what would you do? There, there is one? actually there, 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 I'm no, I don't know if I'll be able to find the page, <laughs> but there was, um, there's a section in here that talks about like, you lost this thing. Well, um, it could have been this, right? You lost your job. It could have been your arm. You lost it. It could have been that, right? Just being yeah. um, aware of the fact that things things can be so much worse. Um, and they can. there's a lot of stuff I learned in the military, but the one thing that I carry with me every day is it could always be worse right? It could always be worse. When, when we were, you know, underway doing whatever we were doing, and I'd have one of my reports complain to me, I would remind them that we're not at Bagram Air Force Base, that we're not uh, behind enemy lines, that we're not getting shot at today. Um, things <laughs> could always be worse. And we're that, not getting shot at today. <laughs> we're not getting shot at today. Um, yeah. I mean, things could always change. <clears throat> we and we have to be prepared for that. Yeah. But acknowledging that, first of all, we don't have control over the outside world, and to to think that we do is sheer folly. We are setting ourselves up for disappointment, and so acknowledging that right out the gate, and and being prepared that if something does fail. That, that we can go ahead and persevere through that. That's a huge part of your willpower. That's armoring yourself against those setbacks so that you can continue to move forward. Um, the other thing that I'll say is being um, flexible, right? And not letting your emotions overwhelm you, being okay with adjusting your course of action, being resolute in terms of what your goal is, but flexible in terms of how you can accomplish it. And yeah. The reason this is important is that we don't have control over our outside world. And it could be that the plan that we made, um, even if our goal is virtuous or just, or just the right one for our mission, um, the resources that we have at our disposal could change at the drop of a hat. And we need yeah. to be flexible enough to acknowledge that and to be able to move forward anyway. Yeah. And that's really interesting when you, so, you know, as we're getting into, as we're getting into the new year mm -hmm. where I would say the world, I'm going to, here's the, here's the, this number I'm going to throw out where, you know, 85% of the world is setting goals. Sure. themselves and i'm going to say that only 10 percent of those goals actually succeed numbers i've completely made up so i was going to say 87 percent of statistics are completely made up so exactly. exactly but yeah i hear your point yeah. a lot of people are making goals a lot of people don't follow right. through on them and so there, there's the will of falling through the goal but there's also the when you're making a goal if you go and make a goal and in your mind that perception thing in your mind is this is how you get to the end result, mm -hmm. right? You've created only one pathway that you can follow, mm -hmm. right? Then if you say, here's the end result, this is what I want, right? 
and maybe you throw some key milestones that you feel like may help you get there, right? But you open your mind up to the pathway may spider, right? Mm -hmm. It may go this way and then backtrack this way and go this way. Because we all know that getting to a goal is not a straight line. There's, Mm -hmm. There's ups and downs. So if you think about it in that way and you don't set these rigid parameters of this is how I have to get there, right? This is the only way, right? The chances of success go up tremendously and we can throw Mm -hmm. up, well, chances of success go up 95%. Again, a number I've just made up, right? But (laughs) like you have this, you're going to have a better chance of getting to where you want to be if you keep your mind open to, you know, what your options are. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a, again, a huge part of having the willpower, you, you talked about something that's actually really important that a lot of people are, are going to write down goals and a lot of people are not going to follow through on them. Um, we, and some of this uh, has come up in some of our other readings, but one thing that really stands out to me was a study that was done with, um, and this is not in this book, but it is related to finding the willpower. Um, there was a study that was done with people who had had hip replacement surgery. So older medical patients. And for those of you that are not familiar, um, recovery and rehabilitation from hip replacement surgery is incredibly painful and incredibly difficult. And you have to start it right after the surgery. Um, You don't get to lay around for a few weeks. If you do that, your muscles will atrophy and you have made recovery to full function uh, almost impossible if that's the path you choose to take. The only way to get back to full functionality after hip replacement surgery is to get on the rehabilitation wagon right away. And that's hard. That is incredibly difficult and painful. And what they found is they divided participants into two groups. And they, both groups wrote down goals for what they would hope to achieve. But One group just wrote down goals. The other group wrote down goals and then they wrote down roadblocks. They wrote down what was gonna stop them from doing their rehabilitation. So example A would be, I will um, do my hip workouts, I'm paraphrasing here, for an hour every day, right? A laudable goal. The other group would say, I'm going to do my hip workouts for an hour a day, and I'm going to do it right at nine o'clock, all the way down to, I'm going to stand up quickly because I know if I do it slowly, the pain will overwhelm me and I will stay in my chair, right? Incredibly specific acknowledgments of what's going to stop them from achieving their goal. And the groups that wrote down what was gonna stop them and what they were gonna do about it were magnitudes, exponentially more successful at achieving their rehabilitation goals and finding full functionality. This comes back to the will in terms of we have to get familiar with what the setbacks are likely to be We have to armor ourselves against them and have a course of action already thought through. We can't think of everything. 
but we can think of what's most likely to go wrong with our plans and what's most likely to stand between us and our goal, even if it's as simple as we're going to forget to set our alarm. There are still workarounds. Um, you know, there are still predictable choke points that we can plan for and have a kind of an if then scenario, right? Yeah. If this happens, if it's too painful, then I will try this other course of action or this is what I will do. Well, also it helps like if you go and let's say your goal is to, you know, walk, walk 10 yards. I don't really know how, how much it replacement, but sure, 10 yards isn't even that long. A little bit at a time. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're walking 10 yards every day and that's your goal. And you're like, well, on Tuesday, I got to go see my physical therapist and I got to do this and I got to do that. If you acknowledge, okay, so I'm going to walk 10 yards every day, but Tuesday I'm not going to be able to walk 10 yards because of this. Mm-hmm. Right. You've now, you haven't broken the cycle. You've acknowledged, okay, I got this going on that day. So I have to skip. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go back to uh, atomic habits, um, they talk about not missing two days in a row yeah, type thing. Mm-hmm. So if you start having these conversations with yourself going, okay, so is there anything out there that could stop me from doing what I need to do two days in a row? Mm-hmm. How do I, how do I prevent that? Yeah. Right. And you have these conversations, you're going to, you're going to exponentially increase your chances of meeting your goal. You could almost think of it as it's very useful to front load your will, right? To think it through before you find yourself in that position, because then you're in a reactive state and you're, it's a lot harder to come up with a good solution when you're in a reactive state than when it's before you get there, you think things through and have a plan. If, if you're in a reactive state, you're investing cognitive energy and not only acknowledging what the problem is, but then you're having to kind of brainstorm how to work with it in that moment. Whereas Knee-jerk reactions. Of, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Whereas if it was part of your plan in the first place, right, a, an internal or even written down uh, flowchart, if then sort of scenario, that if this happens, then I will do this course of action to to get to my goal um you're gonna improve your performance quite significantly because you're investing the cognitive effort at a time when you have cognitive effort to give as opposed to being in a reactive state no yeah it's i want to say oh i'm gonna i'm gonna stretch my my memory here for a second Uh uh-oh um I want to say it's Brian Tracy Mm -hmm. eat that frog. Yeah. And I want, I I want to say there's a, uh, there's a quote in there in it's prior preparation prevents poor performance. And I think that's the right quote. I I may be wrong there. In the military, we said, previous preparation prevents piss poor performance <laughs> but maybe that's too edgy for this crowd that that's I, okay I, do you do you do that when you're teaching kids is that the one you, use? you know i i can't tell would you giggle. how many times i've had to stop myself from saying those words 
I also work with kids um, who who are not who are still learning about what it means to prepare <laughs> for performance, and that's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that it's that prior preparation. So if you're doing all this pre work, right? Mm-hmm. You're going, hey, you're you're shooting holes in it. You're figuring it out. You're doing all this pre work. Mm-hmm. When when I went on vacation, you know, I, I was off for a period of time. My boss is covering what, me while I'm out. I did all this pre-work and I went to him like, here's everything put in place. Mm-hmm. When I got back, there really wasn't a scenario. He's like, yeah, well, this got missed. No, it, it, it worked. It happens. Everything, you know, all that pre-work was done. And while I was mm-hmm. on vacation, I didn't think about it. Oh, did I miss this? Did I miss mm-hmm. that? If you're thinking about that and you, you're, you're about to leave work and you're like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. Instead of thinking about it all night, send out that quick email. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't do it angry, send out yeah. that quick email. Yeah, don't, don't send angry emails. Just yeah. don't do it. Yeah. yeah. So the, I guess the, I don't know, last question. The question I have is how do you, how do you go and bestill, bestow stoic philosophy on kids? Um, you've got these kids that are, are figuring out their emotions mm-hmm. and this, this goes for adults too. I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah. sometimes adults are still figuring out their emotions, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but there you've got kids that are figuring out their emotions, um, that are maybe not as good as, uh, setting boundaries as adults. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to go, okay, perception, action, will, like, you know, and you're, you're quoting Marcus Aurelius to them when they're like, I don't know who Marcus Aurelius is. Is he a teacher no. in a different grade? It, like, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you go and bestow these philosophies onto kids? Well, the way I do it is actually through in my school district teaching social and emotional skills is almost given the same weight as reading, writing, math, social studies, science. In fact, I would say social and emotional learning, this kind of mindset business is is in fact given the same weight as social studies and science. and I've, I've talked about this before with other friends that, in fact, the, the truth of the matter is, is that this mindset work, um, having proper perception of problems, being able to establish good productive relationships with teachers and peers, um, having the social and emotional skills to be successful and to feel good about the life that we're living instead of being mad that, you know, Johnny two desks over has more than we do or did better on the test instead focusing on our own performance and doing the best we can to prepare ourselves for for whatever may come, both in terms of academics, but also in terms of our relationships. All of that social and emotional learning moves the needle and accelerates learning in the other categories, reading, writing, 
and mathematics. If you have a child who does not have, for example, persistence or resilience, whose perception of a failure is that they are a bad student, that they are not, you know, they fail a quick quiz or whatever. If their perception is that they get that feedback and it means that they are bad at math, if that's how they interpret that feedback, you've got a kid who's now not going to try at math. They've already, you've lost yeah. that battle with them now because their perception is that they are not a math person. And I have to deal with this with parents who are, are feeding this poison to their kids, um, that there are math <laughs> people and that there are not math people, right? Anyway, but without getting into that, <laughs> we'll, we'll try to keep it where we are. If you can manage kids' expectations and teach them explicitly that we're going to receive feedback that we don't like sometimes, but that it's there to help us grow, we're going to have failures and make mistakes, but they happen and they help us learn and develop, right? Once they flip that mindset and you can get them to see that their failing grade or their low score on the quiz is not a reflection of them as a mathematician, but in fact, an opportunity, right, to learn. The obstacle is the way. Um, once their perception shifts, and instead of thinking themselves not as people that are bad at math, but that they made a mistake and that they can learn from it, that blows the doors wide open in terms of what they're capable of academically. So your question was, how do we instill and bestow the stoic values Not of- Not still. I think it's how I was using it was busted. <laughs> I, I, I let it back. It's okay. It's all right. Sure. Yeah. Still, we can bestill these stoic values. <laughs> um, not, not in any sort of occult way, but in a way to help children be resilient and see themselves as capable. We do that through explicit instruction. As adults, our explicit instruction is reading books like the obstacle is the way, like ego is the enemy, like daily stoic. Um, I don't, you know, read quotes from the daily stoic to my kiddos. We do witty rhyming aphorisms, you know, where I call and they repeat something back. So for example, um, I'll, I'll shout out to my kids, today is the day, and they repeat back, and now is the time, right? It steals them for action. Instead of sitting around ruminating on their problems, they're ready to push forward. If it's going to be, it's up to me, right? Telling them that they have the power to take action and to do stuff, but they have to believe in themselves. That's how we move forward. That's how like we that. pass these values down. I will also say the other thing, and this is even more important, is to be a good model of those behaviors. If as a parent or as a teacher, I'm whining, I'm complaining, I'm sighing and say, oh, you know, this again, kind of baloney and modeling, impatient, um, pessimistic behaviors to them, then I, I can't expect any better back, right? If yeah. I don't model myself 
making mistakes and how I react to my own mistakes in front of my kids, then I can't expect that they're going to, you know, do the same. If I am trying to teach math to my kids and I say, oh, sorry, kids, I'm not a math person. <laughs> I, I now have a whole class that are not math people, right? And that's not a good thing either. So if we want our kids to do better, if we want to relieve our kids, whether they're your kids in the classroom or your own kids in your own home, um, or even your, your report, if I may extend the kids metaphor just a little bit wider, to the people that we mentor or the people that we lead, we need to be okay with making sure that we're setting that example. We need to put our ego away and be okay making and modeling mistakes and modeling, you know, our proper perception, putting our emotions aside, not complaining, but instead being solution oriented. That's how we do it. I had a, a leader uh, once, uh, it was, it was that time of year where you're writing reviews, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody really enjoys getting a review. Mm -mm. Uh, I would say uh, not anybody. There, there's certain people who do. Um, I do. I enjoy getting reviews. Uh, but anyways, this leader, he told me when I'm writing these reviews, he's like, well, what do you want this person to walk away with? And I'd never really thought about it that way. Like, okay. What do I want them to walk out of the room with and then craft your message to be like, Hey, cause you know, you don't necessarily want them to walk out of the room, you know, feeling like crap. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, you may want them to walk out of the room going, if you don't change your behavior, then there's a bigger issue sure. depending on, depending on the performance and whatnot, but you really want people to walk out of that room knowing that there's a way forward mm -hmm. right and if it's a person that's underperforming be like hey here's here's where you're struggling right we need to craft a way to change this situation right and if you've done all your pre-work fine and you've, if you've had conversations beforehand as long as it's not a shock you're going to be good mm -hmm. and they told me that and it's like oh okay that makes giving reviews a lot easier. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, because you you have to you have to go and you have to give that person that feedback. Now, another way to look at it is from the point of getting a review. Mm -hmm. Your boss could tell you something, and it's really up to you if you agree with it or not. Sure. Right. They could have a perception of you that is unjust. Mm -hmm. they could tell you you're not a math guy and you'd be like yeah that is your perception that i'm not a math guy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right i you know it's not your job to tell me who i am right yeah you know so there there's this framework that you have there so it's not just you know, it's, it's instilling it on kids and having that chant response. I, I got to practice with my little one. <laughs> I, I think she'll have fun with it, but also, you know, as an adult going into this, um, the quote that we haven't talked about is, and I'm, I may get it wrong, but this is a moment in your life, not your life. Yeah. And so that review that, that situation, 
you know, you get a flat tire on the way to work mm-hmm. moment, not yeah. your life. And I think that's, uh, that's really important to know that you're going to get bad reviews. You're going to have bad bosses. It's up to you, whether you want to take that feedback, if you want to fight for the job, if you want to move on to something else. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the other thing I'll say, which is you know, kind of a veer off was with our little one Mm -hmm. uh you know the wife and i are doing we're doing breathe so when she's upset when she's mad she's not getting her way you know like breathe Mm -hmm. take a breath calm yourself down yeah okay now ask nicely for what you want Mm -hmm. right or ask you know say hey i don't want this whatever that is and that i feel like we started that in i maybe she even started it murder they started it at school i don't know but it works out really well where it's like you know you're in full tantrum mode breathe and yeah. you get her to breathe you get her to calm down mm-hmm. and she's like well i want pancakes and you're like well pancakes aren't realistic right now we, we, we don't have time or resources for pancakes um <laughs> and actually the one that was that was over the holiday was um she wanted to get out of the plane and walk around <laughs> i'm like i want to go for a walk <laughs> breathe okay we're in the air yeah there's no going outside we're, we're, i, I, I want to go for a walk too we can't um yeah yeah i understand you want to this plane is cramped yeah but we we can't so um i feel like we're coming to an end here yeah. Is there anything we haven't said that you feel needs to be said about this book? Besides telling everybody, go out, buy it right now, read it, live it. Yeah. It's a great book. The the one thing I think that I would add, and, and there is discussion of this in the book, and there is discussion of this in Stoic philosophy in general, is about our relationship with mortality. And without getting into, you know, a big long thing it's an acknowledgement that you know memento mori remember that you are mortal that that we all will pass away we all will die and that is not a pessimistic that is neither good nor bad right that is not a pessimistic <laughs> thought that is being in touch with reality and some yeah. of us um will pass sooner than others but also there is an acknowledgement there that in this time we have a responsibility to live as well as we can to accomplish the goals as best we can and to live as virtuously as we can right um and i think that that's important not only in terms of what goals you choose to set and how you choose to perceive your situation and the world around you. But also um, it, I think it helps us see to the truth of things that we only have the control that we have. We don't even really have control over our lifespan. Um, You know, we could kick it overnight or while crossing the street to go check the mail. We just don't know. So 
while acknowledging that we don't have a lot of control over it. And that was a big part of what we discussed with uh, in terms of, of will and having a plan is that we don't control the outside world. No matter how much money you have, there's always going to be circumstances that you don't have control of. So acknowledging that we are mortal puts us in a position to live this day as virtuously as we can, to, to love the people in our lives, to treat people well, um, to provide wisdom as best we're able to provide it and to receive wisdom as best we're able to receive it, I think is paramount. And an acknowledgement of our own mortality, I think, is important. You know, and I didn't really bring it up earlier. I, I kind of hinted around it because there are some exercises, stoke exercises that, that really go into mortality mm -hmm. and, and thinking about it. And it doesn't need to be dark. We, we give no. it power if we call it dark. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, there is, there is definitely something to be said that we, we are mortal and yeah it will eventually come to an end um and you know if we live it in a emotionally charged way that is always grating on us when mm -hmm. it comes to an end i have to imagine we'll be asking where did it go yeah you know so, if you're if you're investing a lot of time complaining if if you're investing a lot of time thinking that the world is against you if you're investing a lot of time ruminating over your failed goals instead of spending time to plan around the obstacles you're likely to face. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what you're leaving behind. That's your legacy. Yeah. So think carefully about what you're leaving behind because you will leave something behind. And what do you yeah. want that to be? Yeah. Okay. We got to, we got to up the energy. We can't end. I was going to say on that happy note, we definitely can't. Um, I, I, there so there's so much uh um i i will say that i i read the obstacles away before yeah. i read meditations um okay and uh like i said i got exposed to it through tim ferris's podcast mm -hmm. and um i read it and i i will say that ryan holiday really does a great job of summing up stoic philosophy in a series of books um there's a, another book that's not in the set that's Courage Something, Courage Something, Something, Something by Ryan Holiday. I, you know. oh, way to narrow it down. Courage yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. there is um, the, the, the obstacle is the way, the ego is the enemy, and stillness is key. That's kind of the three book set. Um, I think for me anyway, all of them are eminently rereadable. Um, yes. I think one of the reasons that the way these books are written is uh good instructive impactful is that it's not just this is what stoic philosophy says it says do this he includes a lot of stories um from a wide variety of people who have lived through history and, yeah. and done a lot of stuff um to help carry these ideas and kind of make them stick a little bit better while so, for some people quotes stick really well human beings in general we like story so yeah. it's you know, for me, the stories about, you know, um, about like Hurricane and his, the idea that our mind is a citadel and is impenetrable, yeah. even if we are imprisoned, right? Uh, the, the idea, the stories about uh, Teddy Roosevelt and um, 
all the stuff that he's been through and other, you know, Thomas Edison and the burning down of his laboratory. Um, Those are sprinkled throughout these books in a way that really helps carry their lessons uh, in a way that's going to stick with people, I think. And that's what I was was really getting at is because Marcus Aurelius meditations is Mm -hmm. a great book. It's a classic. I feel like everybody once in their life should pick it up and read it. Sure. And it may be one of those books that you read and go, Hey, I'm going to go back to. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't break out the stories like Ryan holiday does. Ryan holiday is taken all these uh, stoic stories, stoic philosophy and turned it into a really great summary and actionable stuff and really help mindset. Um, yeah. Marcus if, Aurelius wrote meditations to help himself. It's, it's his yeah. journal, right? It's him chewing on these ideas, which by the way, if you're not, if, if people are not journaling, even if it's just one line a day, give it a try. Um, and I think reading the daily stoic can help with that and give you a little bit of inspiration, but that aside, the mission of Marcus Aurelius's meditations is fundamentally different than the mission of the obstacles, the way. Exactly. It's, it's self versus the obstacle way. And Ryan Holiday's work is being, I want to get this to the masses and Correct. I want to make yeah. it consumable by the masses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I okay. think it, it achieves that goal. And I think it's a I, fantastic I, book. I think it's worth a read for anybody. It does. Um, I know this one isn't coming out before Christmas. It's being recorded before Christmas, but not coming out before Christmas. So um, if you hear it and go, ooh, next Christmas present or next birthday present, you, you won't disappoint whoever you're giving it to. So it's coming out way before Christmas. People are totally going to be able to use this to buy gifts. <laughs> yeah, next wait. Christmas. Yeah, ne- ne- next, next Christmas. Uh, okay, awesome. You know, I am going to take us off record. Okay. Unless uh, do we need to say like dudes, do we need do we dudes, do, we could do dudes, 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 dude, 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 say dude, 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 dude. There we go. Okay. Our podcast was originally recorded on Zoom. Special thanks to Skillsoul on Pixabay for providing our intro and outro music. If you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, please hit the like and subscribe button on your podcast provider. Follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes Review Books. Let us know what you think we should review. Keep reading, keep learning, keep growing, keep pursuing what's important to you, and keep listening to our podcast. Stay thirsty, my friend. <laughs> 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 <laughs>